You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode 39. Today we're discussing the treatment of thyroid disorders using Chinese medicine. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fiona Gitchum. And today we're talking about treatment for thyroid disorders. The thyroid isn't mentioned much in Chinese medicine, but we have come to see it as part of the Sanjiao, the heart and the fire element. In today's episode, we'll be discussing a range of treatment approaches from both the Chinese medicine and integrative medicine point of view. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi podcast to your favorite RSS feed iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes and we hope you enjoy today's episode. If you're really enjoying our show, please rate us on iTunes and share us with your friends on Facebook. Hi everybody, Uh, it's great to be here today and Claire and I are going to talk about the thyroid. It turns out that we have already had this conversation, however we had some kind of snafu in the recording so we're here to do it again today and we have part of a previous conversation so we're going to present all the elements of both conversations and you may be able to detect that we recorded these during different sessions at some point there'll be a break so this time we're going to start again Claire We're talking about the thyroid. I know that you've had a lot of thyroid patients through the clinic in Melbourne, and so have I while I was there. And um, we're going to talk about the thyroid from the perspective of Chinese medicine and also some integrative tools that you can add in to work with if it's in your scope of practice. And we'll start with, you know, the thyroid in Chinese medicine. It's not discussed a whole lot. It's certainly not one of the major organs in um, the traditional Chinese medicine text. Um, we were talking about it earlier, Claire. You mentioned there was a lot of lot of mentions of goiter. Mm, yeah. Um, and other th- other than that, in Chinese medicine, how do we, how do we discuss the thyroid? Well, I think I mean it's it's certainly something that. Um... <laughs> Let's start again. Definitely in the text, there is a lot of mention of goiter and using formulas like Neisha Loliwan and, you know, formulas that have got salty, salty flavours, herbs that have salty flavours that are known to soften masses. And a lot of those herbs contain, you know, they contain either some level of iodine, so herbs like kunbu and um, the other seaweeds that just slip my mind at the moment, the names of them. Our listeners will go, oh, you're crazy. Hi, Hi Zhao. Hi, Zhao. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, but then there's some other herbs as well that also contain um, isothiocyanates, which are compounds that interfere with normal thyroid function. Um, and so they're, and, and in that way, by suppressing thyroid function, they can help to resolve a goiter. So there is, there's quite a lot of mention of the treatment of goiters in Chinese medicine, but then there's this kind of big gap where conventional medicine talks about hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism and autoimmune thyroid conditions, and there's no real kind of parallel within the, um, you know, within the classic texts 
where we're talking about those types of conditions. Right, right. So we're looking at the physiology of the thyroid and what it does and where we're going to fit it in. Yeah, and I think, look, probably um, it, probably it's a good idea for our listeners if you're not really familiar with thyroids is to jump back and pull out your textbooks and just refresh your mind with um, with what the thyroid does, what, and, you know, because we want to try and get as much information into this episode as we can. In a nutshell, it's a gland in the neck, it's part of the endocrine system and it is responsible for maintenance of metabolism, energy production and a range of other range of other functions. Um, but it's a very delicate gland. And and I guess I, th- I think just to clarify, you know, I said before there's no real parallels with Chinese medicine. I think that's because we don't really talk about, you know, this special gland in the throat. We talk about the fire element, we talk about the heart, we talk about the sand jiao, and a lot of the dysfunctions of the thyroid will present with heart palpitations is one of the most common problems in cardiomyopathy where you've um, that can be problems if you've got an under or an overactive thyroid. So I think I think a lot of it comes into that idea of the heart and what's happening with the overall yang in the body. So pairing up with the kidneys, um, I think that's that's kind of where the thyroid fits in Chinese medicine theory. What are your, mm, what are your thoughts on that, Fee? Yeah, I mean, I certainly see it as um, being predominantly in the fire element, but also just it, this relationship is the Xiao Yin axis. Yeah. So everything that happens with the, with the thyroid is going to present within those uh, types of patterns predominantly. So, you know, the, the thyroid taking care of body temperature, for example, so we have very simple clues there and symptoms or signs of yin and yang and um, either this relationship with the fire and the water through the Xiao Yin that, the, the fire and the water management of the temperature is affected. I think, you know, I think it's a really good point that, you know, we do often talk about the Xiaoyin, you know, the heart and kidneys have a very close relationship. And that relationship also exists within, you know, the integrative medicine approach where, you know, whenever people are talking about thyroid, they're also talking about the adrenals and you need to support the adrenals in order to support the thyroid. So it's that same idea of, lower jaw fire which is the adrenals and the upper jaw fire which is the heart and that um, and that axis is really important in um, in a convent uh, in the integrative medicine approach otherwise it's a little bit like driving your car with a handbrake on if your adrenals aren't aren't really working very well and you're just kind of pumping up the thyroid and this happens with a lot of patients you know they're coming in and they're on thyroid replacement hormone but nothing is being done for their adrenals they're working themselves into the ground and it can be really quite damaging um, not just to the thyroid gland but to the whole fire element in general and that's something that I think we can really um, we can Mm. really help to support our patients with with the Chinese medicine approach. Right I think so too we can also see that thyroid reflecting in the Sanjiao's physiology as well you know it's of the fire element but it has so much to do with water as as well um, and that you know one of the most frequent presentations we'd see in a thyroid patient regardless of the various thyroid diseases or, or issues is the palpitations of the heart and the adrenal fatigue yeah absolutely and look I think that overall 
well, certainly when I was at school and in my early years of practice and even still, you know, sometimes on some practitioner forums, I think that heart pathologies and fire element pathologies are underdiagnosed. And I think it's really important as practitioners that we, you know, every now and then go back and refresh ourselves in terms of, you know, what are the symptoms that come up when someone's got heart yang deficiency and how do we distinguish heart yang deficiency from kidney yang deficiency because there is a lot of Mm. overlap and sometimes it makes a big difference from an acupuncture point of view and also you know to a certain extent from a herbal medicine point of view if you're trying to direct the effects of a formula to either the upper jaw or the lower jaw or both at the same time I think that um, we can certainly improve our clinical outcomes just by refining our diagnosis even within Chinese medicine even before we're starting to look at integrative approaches. Mm. We can also definitely see you know some really clear patterns in thyroid diseases to do with whether or not they're a yin or a yang category. Um, So we get the classic hypothyroid um, being yang deficient or the hyperthyroid being yin deficient. Um, So let's Let's go through some of these Chinese medicine patterns and the patterns that Claire mentioned, a lot of the heart pathologies, and um, break them down with some thyroid presentations. Yeah, well, you know, the other, I will add a third category to that as heart blood deficiency, which is also quite common. And, you know, thyroid disorders are very, you know, far more prevalent in women than in men, and women are more likely to become blood deficient. Than men, and so blood deficient blood deficiency is an important pathology to remember as well. And so, mm. I mean, really, what's going to be presenting with these with these patients um, is that they're going to be having, you know, the overall signs of Yang deficiency or the overall signs of Yin deficiency or blood deficiency, but with that added level of um, of the heart you know, the heart symptoms that come into play. So that that tends to be the two main the two main symptoms that I see that come in that make me think, okay, this is probably a heart pathology, is either, you know, a, a heart palpitations that the patient experiences or that they report, or that when you're feeling on their pulse and they've got, you know, They've got something funny going on in their heart pulse, whether they're or just in their overall pulse, where it skips a beat or it kind of speeds up a bit and then slows down, does weird things. Um, and the other, the other symptom is um, the tendency to depression, or you know, feeling quite, just feeling quite flat within themselves. That um, that often makes me question: Is there something going on with their heart, their, their Chinese medicine heart? Mm. Um, and also here we're getting clues to um, when we'll get into the types of emotional issues that we can see associated with different thyroid presentations as well because that's important. Mm. Yeah, and then there's also the hyperthyroid patterns which often have some component of heart fire and that can be heart fire that's in the heart or that can be fire that's agitating the heart. A lot of people talk about liver fire with hyperthyroid. Um, The patients that I see in my clinic tend to not have liver patterns as the primary primary pathology. The liver gets upset as like a secondary. It's more of a branch symptom. But um, but I know from, from discussions with other practitioners that they having patients that present that have their liver as the primary 
um, as the primary upset, I guess, and that the heart is um, is a secondary. Yes, and I'm just jumping jumping ahead to ask you if you think, because I'm having these thoughts while we're having the discussion as well, that in those cases there's going to be more of a required element of detoxification throughout their treatment protocol. Absolutely, and I'm finding that, um, you know, particularly with patients who've got hyperthyroid, that, you know, the, the liver, the actual liver, so the the, the medical liver is part of, um, you know, very important being able to clear the hormones. And also from a Chinese medicine point of view, the liver and, the, you know, being able to keep qi flowing freely is, uh, is important. But um, I'm also finding that um, taking care of, you know, the middle jowl in general, so looking at digestion and, you know, I'm having a lot of patients who've got, you know, very very tricky to treat um, digestive parasites and bacterial overgrowth that once you start working to clear those, you know, their antibody levels come right down, their, um, you know, their, th- their thyroid hormone levels start to normalise really mm. quickly. And so, you know, that whole idea of not just, I guess, getting too focused with the integrative medicine approach, which is important, you know, I th- but, you know, looking at the way that Chinese medicine can... Um, you know, we're, we're always looking at, you know, the the signs and symptoms that we can see and if there's digestive upset or if there's, you know, a bit of scalloping on the tongue or if there's a deep crack in the centre of the tongue, these are clues. Sometimes they might be the only clues that we see. But, um, yeah, we've I've definitely been um, getting some good results with working on um, – working on getting rid of that, you know, that really yucky constrained heat and constrained chi in the middle jowl. I will add one other thing and that mm-hmm. is that one of the, one of the um, you know, that idea of husband and wife in Chinese medicine I think is really important and one of the ways that I'm that I often look to help relieve the the burden on the liver is to support the gallbladder. You know, we're talking mm. about women, particularly when they've got hypothyroid, but it could be either way. But, you know, the gallbladder is under a lot of strain. Women are classically more prone to gallbladder issues, and that's related to estrogen. That's for a whole separate episode. Um, but the um, just doing a very gentle, you know, giving very gentle support for the, for the gallbladder. Um, you know, I use just a very you know, just a very simple combination of Lidan Pashawan and I just use that in a patent pill form um, in combination with malic acid. I don't do crazy gallbladder flushes. Um, we can maybe talk about that another time, but I don't think they're useful for most people. Um, but just that mm. just that, um, that gentle support over a month or two months can really help to take the burden off the liver, you know, flushing out the gallbladder and supporting the gallbladder so that then, you know, the gallbladder and liver together are going to work better. Mm, which, of course, supports the digestion and the, the overall the inflammatory state of the body, which draws more heavily on the thyroid's nutrients. Mm. So this is a little more integrative as well, but, you know, one of the reasons why if we do have someone where it's also got this, but the part of the liver patterns are involved, uh, then it's that overall increase in the inflammatory state in the body that the liver is trying to handle, that it's overloaded with, um, that draws more heavily on the FAD, the T4, 
in the thyroid, the hormone, to then also support the detoxification process. Yeah. So, so we've kind of jumped around a lot. I'm just going to quickly skim over the main kind of patterns we've mentioned and let people know that you, with a thyroid patient, you might be seeing any particular stack of these types of patterns in combination. Um, so we'll mention them individually, but you're likely to see them, you know, complexified with each other as usual in the clinic. So we've got overall a presentation of someone who's really young deficient or really indeficient, and um, with the fire or the heart pathologies, we had heart young deficiency and also the blood deficiency, which I think we should discuss a little more. Um, and then some liver patterns and also looking at Shayin types of presentations. So, and then you're, you're also going to see, uh, you know, the kidney yin and yang involved as well. So, of course, as that's part of the Shayin. So, this is also something that if someone comes to you and says, I have this XYZ thyroid problem, you're going to be dealing with the Western medical terminology pretty much if the patient's already discussing their thyroid issue with you. So shall we briefly discuss something to do with the pathology tests? Because with the thyroid, these are particularly uh, tricky and not necessarily easy access to getting the right thyroid test done. Mm. So if you know what they are and if you know why, um, you might choose a different test to um, the patient's doctor. It depends what country you're in as well. So, you know, we're, we're just going to talk about the types of tests that are of most benefit and why. So let's start with TSH. Yeah, so TSH is thyroid-stimulating hormone and it's made in the pituitary gland to, you know, the purpose of it is to instruct the thyroid gland how hard to work. So the higher the number, the more kind of whip-cracking is going on with the pituitary going, hey, you know, <laughs> work harder. So an elevated TSH is a sign of an underactive thyroid. Or, you know, it can also be, I mean, it's probably outside the scope of this episode to talk about, but can also be a sign of a pituitary problem whereby the thyroid might be working properly, properly, but the pituitary is kind of mistakenly still giving the incorrect instructions. Um, yeah. So that's, but that's a very small percentage. Like the majority of the time what you're going to see in your clinic is someone coming in and, well, I guess there's two scenarios. The first is they're already on thyroid replacement or they've already got a diagnosed thyroid problem where they're on a thyroid suppressive medication or they've had their thyroid chopped out, whether it's from cancer or from overactive thyroid. Um, so you're getting people who are on some sort of medication and they're being monitored and sometimes they're being monitored only by the TSH level um, and that's really just, you know, assuming that the pituitary is is happy and also assuming that the rest of the body is kind of working well. Often that's not the case um, and there's certainly mm. lots that we can do to help optimise the rest of that stuff. So the TSH instructs the thyroid and the thyroid then um, makes thyroid hormone. So T4 is the inactive um, storage form of, of thyroid hormone and then it gets converted in the, in the peripheral tissue from T4 into T3 and that's and T4 is the uh, T3 is the active form of thyroid hormone and so you can run blood tests for those so the free T4 and the free T3 you'll see them written as FT4 FT3 so that's telling you about the storage storage levels of thyroid hormone and the active form 
and the active mm. most potent form. So then, then that's in a nutshell. I mean, it's, a, it's far more intricate than that. But um, often what will happen in Australia, and this is mainly to do with the Medicare regulations and the way that um, doctors are allowed to order blood tests, but what will often happen is that the TSH gets ordered, maybe the T4 gets ordered, the T3 often doesn't get ordered, and unless the TSH comes back out of range, then the T the T3 won't get reported unless the doctor specifically asks for it, and there's some you know problems around them being able to order it, and so it's sometimes it can be quite difficult for patients to get the right tests done. It's important to have the T4 and the T3 done um, so that you can you can get a really clear picture of um, of what's happening because the ratio between the TSH, the T4, and the T3 can tell you about the adrenal function. It can tell you about um, a range of other, you know, the potential for zinc deficiency or B vitamin deficiency, any of the cofactors that help with the conversion of T4 to T3. And so um, without that full picture, we're really having to rely a lot more on, um, on other ways of being able to measure if the thyroid's happy. Mm-hmm. And it's just important to note, I mean, the main points there are that, first of all, the, the TSH may not tell you what's going on inside the thyroid, but the free T4 and the free T3 will, and there's more. Um, but also that the, the reference ranges that would prompt um, a Western doctor to look further into the thyroid are really quite a lot more broad than they should be. Mm. So there's a lot of people who are symptomatic who are falling within the so-called normal reference ranges um so yeah and often what we've what i've what i find in clinic anyway is that if someone does come in with a with a tsh that's above two so anytime a tsh is above two it's a sign that the thyroid is struggling the reference ranges depending on where you are can be anywhere the upper limit can be anywhere from four to six in australia a lot of the upper range of the tsh is quite a lot higher than in some other places but if someone's got you know and particularly with fertility if someone's got a TSH you know 4.5 or 5 they're going to struggle to to be able to fall pregnant they're going to be feeling mm. really tired it's going to be really hard for them to get out of bed in the morning but one of the you know, one of the good things is that if the TSH is still within that normal limit i tend to find it responds quite well to natural medicine yeah, and this is the great news. I would actually say from observing many fertility patients over 11 years that the most common thyroid TSH level I see in an unexplained fertility case is 3.5, yeah. 3.5. Yeah. And, um, you know, even if the upper end of the limit is 5, they're actually not doing that well after they're over 2, as Claire says. Mm. You can also, um, I'm just going to push this topic ahead a little bit, you can also look at something called reverse T3, which um, may be, which blocks the receptor for the T3 to get access. And that can be caused by a lot of chronic stress or um, chronic low-calorie diets long-term excess dieting um, so there's a lot of cases like that too where people are just really overgiving of themselves and overstressed and so we're kind of leading into some of the emotional patterns we see with the thyroid but before we get there I also want to mention there's a few tests you can do as well that would refer to autoimmune 
antibodies being present in the thyroid, which is more so what would put the thyroid disorder into an autoimmune category. And then you'd be looking at a different Chinese medicine approach to your treatment as well. So that's also the, the thyroid antibodies, um, the TPO. And there's another one, isn't there, Claire? Yeah, there's two main other ones. So the TPO is the thyroid peroxidase. There's the TSH receptor antibodies. Uh, and then there's the um, thyroglobulin antibodies. So that's right. Yeah. So the T the TSH receptor antibodies tend to be more specific to people with Graves' disease, and so that's a hyperactive um, autoimmune thyroid condition. Um, the TPO and the TGAB um, tend to be more with Hashimoto's patients, um, and it can be quite tricky to get uh, for these patients to get their thyroid hormone levels rechecked because there is an, uh, some kind of unwritten understanding, I guess, that, um, that the antibody levels don't change. And so um, getting them retested can be quite tricky. But with correct treatment, you can actually get the antibodies back down into well below the, um, the upper limit of the range. Mm. So um, very quickly, the thyroid peroxidase antibodies, the TPO is the one that's most sensitive to gluten. Um, gluten intake and so if anyone has an elevated or even a close you know close to the upper limit um, levels of the antibodies then um, a gluten-free diet will be a very key component in getting that back down. Um, in terms of the thyroglobulin antibodies and the TSH receptor antibodies um, the Often just, you know, going about the normal treatment of treating them how they're presenting from a Chinese medicine point of view will help. Selenium is important for all antibodies. Um, selenium intake is really important to be able to um, support the production of glutathione and it's, an, it's a nutrient, well, I guess an element that's quite often missing in the diet. It's very depleted certainly in the soil here in Australia. Um, and so that's really important as well. But often I find if the if the antibodies are not coming down, that's when you really need to take a goo syndrome approach, that idea of someone who's cursed and, you know, this kind of really tricky pathogens that are stuck in there. Um, I find that um, a goo approach really helps to um, bring those antibodies right down. Mm. Let's quickly run through, um, let's just call out different symptoms that we'd see in uh, all kinds of thyroid patients and so then we'll start differentiating which ones of those may belong to the goo patient or may help you identify the goo mm. patient. Yeah. So, you know, with the thyroid you've got someone that is either too hot or too cold, the yin or the yang deficiency, you've got the heart palpitations, um, we have hair thinning, hair loss. Yep, dry skin, flaking nails. Um, in particular, if they're very sensitive to gluten, um, the little bumps on the outside of the um, of the arm, um, I think they're called keratosis pilaris. Um, but they're, yeah, that's that will often come up when there's gluten um, gluten sensitivity. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then we have also different um, elements of weight loss or weight gain. Yep. Usually matching the patterns of whether or not someone's warm or cold. So the the cold people gain weight and the warm people can't gain weight. Mm. Yeah, and it's not always um, just on that. It's not always um, 
a done deal that someone with an underactive thyroid is going to be overweight. There's quite a lot of mm-hmm. under, underweight women who have, or even normal weight women who have thyroid problems. Mm. I would definitely agree with seeing that too. Um, so let's look at, because I've hinted at it, some of the emotional issues, obviously in all those symptoms that were listed there. Did you have any more you wanted to add, Claire? I think uh, yeah, they gave a good... You can get a little pocket of fluid um, round about where gallbladder 40 is, so uh, distal and medial to the lateral malleolus um, is where gallbladder 40 is and there can often be a pocket of fluid there, like a little mini golf ball in there and that's often um often see that with people who have thyroid problems Mm. so you know this whole list of symptoms really easily matches all the types of patterns we mentioned as well you know the blood deficiency and the heart young deficiency or the shaoyun imbalances yeah oh Um, and of course um, fatigue and heart palpitations yes um, and sometimes with the hyper people, rather they'll have fatigue, but they'll also have insomnia. Those heart palpitations can definitely keep you awake. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. So the emotional pattern, I mean, there's a definitely in Melbourne, there's a certain a type of emotional pattern that tends to happen with the women who form the majority of the thyroid patients with the hypo or the young deficiency um, type patterns. So we were talking earlier about having certain deficiencies and also having that the whole thing is backed up by that kidney young deficiency, you know, that real adrenal fatigue that's that's been caused over a long time usually. Yeah, I mean, the modern lifestyle is just ruthless. You know, we're working, well, particularly in Australia, I mean, we have some of the um, most crazy work hours in the world, but, you know, working five five days a week and it's not nine to five, it's like eight till six or eight till seven, and then somehow thinking that, um, you know, we can get away with that. And then, you know, on top of that exercising and so there's not enough downtime for that kind of positive you know that positive stress the idea of doing exercise is meant to be beneficial but you need to have enough you know rest in order to enough yin to be able to absorb the benefits of the yang activity and you know and then we want to try and have babies and you know it's just there's so many things that just is such an insult to the to the adrenals and to the overall yang of the body. It's very easy to become depleted. And particularly for women, you know, that where, you know, the idea of the way that the feminine hormones work best is not in an, in an environment that's, you know, very fast-paced and very high pressure and high stress. I mean, I don't think men do that well either, but their hormones are not as not as easily damaged in that environment as a woman's hormones. No, and also the best hormone that um, supports that type of lifestyle is testosterone. Yeah. And I believe men have quite a lot more of it than women. And in the female body, when testosterone is released, it's released with adrenaline, Mm. which doesn't happen in the male body. And that adrenaline, when it's chronically released so that a woman can run a business or whatever it is she's keeping up with in that fast pace and chronic competition of the environment, um, you know, that 
that chronic release of adrenaline does have a toxic and damaging effect on the health of the organs long term. Absolutely. And, you know, this is, um, this is the thing when it comes to the endocrine system is you can't really separate out any one particular organ within the, or one particular gland within the endocrine system from the others. They're all, you know, it's a very delicate balance. And whenever one of the glands is upset, then the others very quickly can become out of whack as well. And so you can have problems with blood sugar regulation, um, you know, a lot of people who've got thyroid problems quite often will have slightly elevated fasting blood glucose or they'll have, you know, slightly elevated cholesterol levels, you know, and that's all part of that whole, you know, having that balance is so important for the endocrine system as a whole. And so, you know, that's where I think Chinese medicine really comes to, you know, comes into its strength is that we do take a holistic view and we and we will always be able to identify if there's a kidney problem or if there's a middle jaw problem in addition to whatever other pathologies um, that might you know that the patient might think they're presenting with you were going to say one thing <laughs> yeah I wanted to get back to you know talking about the emotions I think we kind of had a big sidebar mm. there but you know for, when we're looking at the thyroid it's right in the middle of the throat and you know the throat chakra is really all about communication and being able to speak our truth and there's there's definitely a lot of repressed speech that uh, that is present in people who have thyroid problems yeah i have recommended even forms of healing like singing using the voice or chanting or even speaking things to clear the internal air in their body to do with communication maybe things that people aren't going to actually communicate in person to other people in this life but um, a lot of this long-term chronic stress um, and I, I think that I see more of that pattern you know a lot of these patterns often have the blood deficiency underlying and I, I just wanted to say that with it you know with all the diagnoses you probably see the blood deficiency and I feel that it it really matches the personality of someone who's kind of lets the world vampire them in in a way. Mm. You know, lets the world drink from their blood and they don't quite have enough and so many patterns will improve with that blood tonic support and in somewhere within the treatment. Yeah. So let's talk about treatment. Let's talk about mm. herbs and supplements and points. Yeah. Well, with acupuncture, I mean, I really treat the symptoms that are there on the day and so I would be weaving that in to a treatment that is overall each time supporting whether or not we're rebuilding that uh, the yin or the yang and what we're doing with that kidney yang even if we're rebuilding the yin we need to look at the kidney yang as well. Mm. Yeah and I would say that I probably I'm always checking for cold so I'm feeling the belly I'm feeling their feet, their hands, sometimes even their bum. Often I'll, I'll just ask them, do you have a cold bum? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and if there's any cold, I'll always cup the belly as the first thing and then moxa with real moxa um, on top of salt. And then I'm often using, I'm often using Xiaoyin um, points exclusively and I'll choose those points according to what the symptoms are on the day. So in that way mm. I'm kind of treating the branch and the symptoms at the same time. Kidney nine, kidney eight feature very commonly. 
Um, I'm going to mention a point while we're segueing from emotional issues that are relevant to the acupuncture is kidney 16. Yeah. You know, being the Shokantan point of Shaoyin to heal the emotional issues that are stored between that disharmony of the primary forces of fire and water and love and fear. Mm. Absolutely. And kidney 21 is a really great point too, particularly yeah. if there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of issues with digestion. I find that kidney 21 and 16 together work quite well. Um, Actually, most most of the treatment is going to be focused on the abdomen. Yeah, I, I would say almost everyone gets kidney 27. Um, and I think even Kiko talks about kidney 27 as very important for people with thyroid problems. I will sometimes, um, for people who've got Graves' disease, if they've got the eye bulging pathology or even if a lot of them will just report having sore eyes, I will put in bladder 2 and thread that down to bladder 1. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, it tends to be, you know, heart 3 features very heavily in <laughs> all my treatments. Anyone who's ever treated my patients and looks at the notes will see heart 3 come up all the time. Um, yeah, and again, even heart 3, we're harmonising the water and the fire. Mm. Being such the water a, point of the fire chief. It's such a great point for, for thyroid yeah. problems. It's a very nourishing point. It's kind of, it feels energetically very similar to guapi tongue to me. Mm -hmm. but mm. I would, I would I, also I, not be afraid of using moxa with thyroid cases. Mm. Yeah. Even, even, yeah, even someone who is in a hyperthyroid state either that's that's their disharmony or you know it's an alternating disharmony between the hyper and the hypo but you can still use the moxa there because we're still looking at needing to restore the ministerial fire mm. yeah absolutely and what about um what about herbs herbs i'm just aware that we're now at the point where we haven't discussed heavy metals yet Oh yeah, okay. Oh well, let's let's do that when we get to supplements. Let's do herbs first, and then we can do. Okay, then so there is a whole other massive discussion about heavy metals and the thyroid as well, which is very important to learn about. Um, so with herbs, I would say again, you know, I'm looking at overall whether or not I'm looking at a yin or a yang pattern, and then I'm really looking at how am I going to restore that ministerial fire and the Shaoyin balance. So it may be that I'm using something based on your Guiwan or um, if I have more of a hot pattern it may be that I'm using something like Tianwang Bushindan. And then of course we have all the other patterns that form on top of it. Most of the time you may not get someone coming to you because they say, oh, I have this thyroid problem. Sometimes you will, but they'll often be coming to you for fertility or digestive health or chronic fatigue or something like that. So we're also always going to be tailoring the herbs with what it is they've presented with. Yeah. I use um, guapi tongue a lot, particularly for hypothyroid, and I might use mm. that in addition to whatever else I'm doing for them. Um, a, lot of, a lot of women with hypothyroid will present with menorrhagia, it's really heavy periods. Um, so formulas like Gu Chong Tang are really useful um, in those cases 
as well um, and whether you use that just around the period or whether you use that the whole way through the month um, depending on how mm. much you want to focus on their Chiang Mai and consolidating the Chiang Mai. Yeah, um, swan's hour and tongue can be good as well, um, particularly if there's a lot of yin deficiency and problems with sleeping um, and if you feel like there's, you know, the liver yin has been affected as well. The, um, yeah, this one's our in tongue's great. Oh, just coming back to the Tianmen Bushin done, I find it really important to have a formulation of Tianmen Bushin done that's made according to the classical doses. So it's meant to, like, the majority of that formula is actually Sheng Di. And if you make it up as an actual one, so you get the herbs, you grind them up and mix them into balls with honey, they're very sweet tasting. It's a very cooling formula really good for hyperthyroid and it's got other herbs in there that help to clear phlegm as well as, um, you know, nourishing yin and calming the spirit. So it's a great formula for people who've got Graves' disease or hyperactive thyroid, but it, it does need to have that um, that really big whack of, of Sheng Di in there. So if you're using patents or if you're using pre-made formulas, just um, just make sure that the, that the ratios of the herbs are correct. Or you won't get the same effect. Yeah, and I think that really supports what we were talking about earlier with how you really need to nourish the blood. Mm. So the great thing that Sheng Di is doing there is it's a blood tonic, but it's clearing that empty heat. Yeah. But, you know, um, obviously you need to get the dose right to make sure that you don't clear heat. Well, you need to get your foundation right underneath it of what you're doing with the kidneys and the kidney young. Yeah. So right at the start of the episode as well, we mentioned uh, Nisha, Lowly One. Uh, there's also formulas like um, Bansha, Hopatang, and a couple of others that if there's that, um, you know, if they've got a goiter and you're wanting to try and clear out that, um, you know, that stuck phlegm mass in the, in the throat, um, then there's formulas for that as well. Mm, I've had great success with Nochelle Lolly One for phlegm patterns in the throat. Um, and barring that, but just the general presence of phlegm uh, and, and a gut problem or a gut-based disorder, which is where we're probably heading into goo territory here as well, yeah. is I've used Wendan Tung. Mm, yep. Wendan Tung. Um, also yep. to clear that kind of gallbladder phlegm patterns, knowing that you've got that young deficiency. Yeah. Um, for, for anyone who hasn't listened to the Heiner Fruhauf episodes that we had earlier on, um, it'll be a good idea to go back and listen. Um, we've been, in our clinic, we've been using a goo syndrome approach. We make up our own tinctures and we've been doing that for the last few years and they're really, really effective, particularly when you've got the, you know, your thyroid patients who've got that persistent phlegm. That's one of the symptoms that, I find if you're treating them according to, you know, what it seems to be that they're presenting with and, you know, they've still got that persistent phlegm, often you'll find that they will improve once you do that goo approach. And in addition to that, you'll see that their lab work will also start to improve once you, once you um, are able to address that. Mm. I think definitely just to in uh support how you're going to identify that there that you may need to do a goo protocol before you really focus on what 
the other causes um, or before you get the kind of results you need while you focus on the other causes um, is that you, you're looking for someone that has this digestive history um, and the phlegm patterns um, and someone who you would say well you know I can see this is happening with the thyroid but really they're a, a, a spleen patient or a um, just in general a gut health patient however you whatever you call it mm. so let's move on to supplements and we mentioned before about heavy metals the uh, you know when you're looking at the thyroid one of the common contaminants that we've all been exposed to is mercury and it comes in different forms and it's worthwhile going and and looking at the differences between inorganic and organic mercury but the um but when we're talking about the thyroid that it does accumulate mercury so the thyroid has um, or mercury has a strong affinity for the thyroid gland and so quite often you're having to look at someone's history of exposure to mercury whether that's you know they've got they've had dental amalgams or that their mother had dental amalgams whilst they were pregnant um, so there's um, there will be a need to clear out the uh, the dental uh, clear out the the mercury in order to be able to support the full healing of the thyroid I tend to do that either with um, with zeolites or chlorella sometimes both of them Okay, so I feel like we could do a whole episode about um, how to handle metals. Yes, we should. And the detox protocol. So I think we'll go into that because um, I've also been going in deeper into that lately and there are some chelating agents that we use to draw out the metals that kind of have more chance of pulling them out of their deep places and stirring them around the body rather than getting them out of the body. So I think we should do a whole episode on that yeah um, did we yeah yeah so you may need to look at the metals and also assess the history there or the risk of whether or not metals may be part of the plan yeah part of the treatment plan in terms of other supplements um, getting the iodine and the selenium right is really important um, having iodine taking it internally can be quite disruptive to the thyroid gland. Um, thyroids like to go low and slow with in terms of iodine. So if you are going to be supplementing it um, orally, then you need to start at a very low dose and taper upwards until you get to the, um, you know, the alleviation of symptoms. Um, if people start taking iodine and they become quite cold after a week, you know, cold hands or feeling cold, then that's a sign that you need to back off. But most people do better if they're doing iodine topically. You get Lugol's iodine, you can paint it onto the skin and just rotate around different areas of the body to make sure that you're not getting, that you're not, um, yeah, over detoxing through the skin um, and burning the skin. It can be like a chemical reaction, which I suspect is from chlorine being detoxified through the skin. So iodine will, um, when you're supplementing it, will displace any halide toxicity that's present in the body so you've got fluoride chlorine bromides that can take the place of iodine in the body it's really important to have mm -hmm. iodine because it's four iodines plus a tyrosine is what makes thyroid hormone so tyrosine's a 
uh, a protein that you can um, want an amino acid that you can get from your diet so if you're adequately digesting your food you're getting enough tyrosine iodine is usually the rate limiting um, thing in terms of iodine intake mm. and you know thyroid thyroid replacement so taking you know thyroxine is a very convoluted way of of supplementing iodine for people who are iodine deficient it's better just to take iodine so we just need the basic ingredients there and it's really important to note that your thyroid would rather function with the halides masquerading as iodine than with nothing so it's quite easy to be iodine deficient as well these days and again depending on your geography um, so we also need to give those people selenium yeah um, and if you do notice any of those reactions to the iodine as well you may want to hold off for a little while and um, build up the selenium for a couple of weeks and then yeah. come back to it yeah you should always start selenium for at least two mm. weeks prior mm. to starting iodine yeah, and I'll mention briefly because I'm now more known doing the nutrigenomics and the methylation work that anyone with methylation issues or mutations is also going to possibly be presenting with thyroid issues because the free T4, the FAD, is one of the major cofactors. So they're all the same supplements that we're using really for thyroid patients as well. Mm. Um, so you've got your zinc and um, you mentioned earlier your B vitamins from the pathology tests and iodine and selenium yeah to support these hormones yeah yeah so the other cofactors of thyroid um, hormone conversion from t4 to t3 are your b vitamins zinc magnesium iron um, and so being deficient in any one of these minerals can cause problems in uh, particularly where you've got people who've got low t3 syndrome um, and it's a bit difficult to put a round peg into a square hole so if you've got a nutrient deficiency then that needs to be corrected um, before the herbs can kind of fix the dynamic and sometimes it's an absorption issue and so you don't necessarily need to supplement you just need to enhance the absorption of nutrients from the diet but um, sometimes if the diet's depleted or if the person's, you know, profoundly deficient, then, you know, a period of supplementation can help to get them back to where, you know, your herbs can kind of do the rest. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say this is always a case of ingredients in the body that are lacking, nutrients that are lacking or nutrients that are not reaching their destination. And so you're going to be uncovering why. Yeah. There is a lot more that can be said about thyroid hormone, <laughs> but um, we can, um, well, I'll certainly be running um, a webinar on that in the next, in the next month or so. So stay tuned for details mm. about that um, because there is mm. so much more detail that we can go into with thyroid. In right. And I think, you know, with our Chinese medicine protocol, you're, you're going to be looking at how do I support what's depleted that Shaoyin, mm. you know, and what's happened to the Shen and how do I refill that tank from all of that adrenaline and stress and you're going to be looking at how do you um, clear the body of toxins or, you know, pernicious cheese, evil cheese, um, whatever you want to call it, 
because that's going to help the body, it's going to help the gut, it's going to help the body get these nutrients back into where they're needed. Yeah, the body wants to be in harmony and that's what, you know, that's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do, you know, restoring communication. The heart is, you know, the emperor is in charge of communication and the thyroid gland and the throat chakra is all about communication. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we've got so many layers of approaches within Chinese medicine right up to, you know, the spiritual and karmic layers of being able to support people to heal in what they need to get done to fix their thyroids. Mm. And also this is going to be a fairly long-term treatment. I wouldn't wouldn't be saying to this kind of a patient, come for six visits. No. Or, you know, even come for ten visits. It's not the six or the ten-week course. This is really your chronic long-term patients you're going to be working through all those layers and identifying whether or not this is a goo situation or whether or not there's metals involved or um, finding all those areas that on their own would take you know a good six months worth of treatment or more Um, and and putting them into a sequence where you're rebuilding the shayin from within but you're also clearing out everything that needs to come out of the way yeah I would agree with that. I would say for an uncomplicated non-goo presentation, you're looking at a good, you're looking at a pretty solid six months to get someone at a place where you can then move towards a more maintenance approach. But um, if it is complicated by goo, then you're looking at at least 12 months plus to get them to a point where then you're only needing to see them periodically and it may take even longer. That's right. And during that time, you will find that you have supported them and counseled them through those behavior patterns they had that may have allowed them to get so weakened as well. The communication, um, the lifestyle, the burning the candle, yeah, whatever it is with this patient. Or it may just be that, you know, they have this terrible heavy metal issues, but you'll be able to find out what that is and you'll be, there'll be a different person on the other side. Yes. And, you know, not everyone's going to be able to come off their medication. Um, And, you know, there are people out there who've got no thyroid gland and so they need to have thyroid hormone replacement. Um, And so what you, you know, what you're doing there is to help optimise the rest of the body's function to be able to, you know, for them to be able to live a better quality life. Mm. Absolutely. I can hear your dogs barking in the background. (laughs) Is it time? I think Is it it's time, time to take the dogs for a walk? <laughs> well, it's raining, so we can't. They can't go for a walk. They're just barking at um, the people across the road. Anyway, thanks for our listeners for joining us today. If you want to write to us about the thyroid, please comment on our Facebook page for the Heavenly Chi Podcast, where we share this episode. We'd love to hear from you. And yeah, if you want to share any case studies, or if you want to, um, you know, post up some tricky cases. Um, it'd be really great. You can put that up there and we'll help you as best we can. Mm. And I would definitely say that as as people who do work with integrative medicine, with our Chinese medicine, if you've written anything or you have any thoughts that you want to share about translating thyroid into Chinese medicine, that would also be really welcome. Great. We look forward to seeing you again next week.